Well, how's everybody doing this morning? You ready to jump right into things today? We got a lot of ground to cover. We are continuing on in our series on the laws of God. And uh, I think we're week eight of a six-week series, so we're just going to keep rolling with it. There's still a bunch we need to cover. And uh, man, I'm just so excited. God, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we could just honor your goodness today. The word says that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you that you are good every day and you have no shadow of turning. And so it's just so good for us to align our words and our declaration with who you actually are. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. They're wrong. We speak what the word says about you. There is no shadow of turning in you. You are good every day because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as David said, oh, how I love your law. It is your medi my meditation all the day long. And through it, I've become wiser than my teachers. I've expanded further than anybody could ever thought of me because I love your law. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word today. And as we open it, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would cause it to take root in us, that you would bring it back to us in those moments when we need it, that as we plant the word today, we believe that we'll see growth in our lives, in those moments when we need it. We thank you for harvest. We thank you for revelation knowledge right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready? How about you guys at home? Thank you for joining us this morning today. Just uh, open up your Bible and follow right along, and we've got some things we want to cover. Well, laws of God. Man, there's just, you know, we have to understand how his kingdom operates. We already know how this world works, right? We've grown up in it. We've been in it since a baby. But the Bible says that when you received him, you stepped out of the kingdom of darkness and you stepped into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, which means you need to know how his kingdom operates. As Paul said, we are ambassadors to this earth meaning we are representatives of the kingdom of God here on this earth. Not to live like this world lives, but to show them how the kingdom of God is. We are the only God they will ever see. Come on. Until the end of time, when he splits the sky and the shout of an archangel, and he comes back, you are the only God they will ever see. You are the only Bible that some of them will ever read. We might as well live it out before them and show them that there are wor the words of life are alive in us. And not only do they just stay in us, they infect every part of our lives. Amen? So we have to understand how the kingdom works. And kingdom law number one was that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's a law of life that is working on my behalf. Law number two, that as I look into the perfect law of liberty and I continue in it, it says this one will be blessed in what he does. You can't be blessed other ways when the word said this is how you do it. You look into the perfect law of liberty and you continue. You know, we could continue, continue, continue to talk about that and we will more in this year because that's our word for the year. Continue. It's not about what you do occasionally. It's what you continue in. What you do daily has the greatest impact on your life. Come on. If you give yourself to a life of fitness and a life of health, what do you do? You reap health. If you eat lots of junk food like me, you kind of expand. You know, what you do daily is what you see manifesting in your life. 
And so law number two is that the perfect law of liberty, as I look into it and I continue in it, I don't visit it, I live in it. And as we look in, why is it perfect? Why is it the perfect law? Because it reveals the true heart and the true nature of God, which is a heart of love for all. And a heart of love for you, me. And as we understand how much he loves us, that's why the most famous and most important uh, verse in the Bible, we just had March 16th, which they called John 316 Day, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Let's just unpack that for a second. God so loved the world. He didn't say God so loved the church. Come on. That's, that's a perspective that needs to shift in us. Just as much as he loves you and your neighbor sitting beside you in church, he loves the drunk. He loves the homeless. He loves the one that really irks you and that neighbor that just seems to always want to get under your skin. He said he loved the world. And that's why we have to understand that, that royal law of love. Because as he loves you, he loves them. And as you shift to his perspective about them, it changes how you can work with them, how you can minister to them. And when they're down and hurting, as much as what they've done in their past you may not like, you're now there to minister to them because God's heart is already moving towards them. And when we understand God's heart, we begin to align our hearts with his. And as we understand the royal law of love, it brings us to the law of faith. And the reason why the law of faith needs to be preached after the royal law of love, because Paul said, faith works by love. Doesn't work by enthusiasm. It doesn't work by excitement. It doesn't work by effort. It works by love, his love. It empowers your faith. It activates your faith. And so we're going to dive deeper into the law of faith today. Why don't you join me over in 1 John chapter 5. You ready for it? When we're talking about the laws of God, just to remind you, they are statements of fact. They are not up for interpretation. It's not based upon your opinion. It's not based upon what you've experienced. They are statements of fact observable in the word of God. It's what he said they are, not what you think they are. It's important. It's what he said they are, not what you think they are. So they're observable in the word, they're statements of fact, and it's that certain phenomenon always occur when certain conditions are met. And what are those conditions we said? Salvation. When you got saved, you stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the laws changed. That's the phenomenon, and that's what happens when you, when you get saved. And so here in John chapter 5, verse 1, we read it a few weeks ago, it says, whoever, you want to say that word with me? Whoever, that means everyone, it doesn't matter, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone that believes Jesus is the Christ is born born of God. And I highlighted that statement right there because it's very important in a few verses down. But whoever, 
Whoever believes that Jesus is born of God, born of the kingdom, stepped into his way of things operating. And it says, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. That's the royal law of love at work. When you love him, you understand he loves you, you begin to love those who he loves. Come on. Let's drop to verse 4. It says, for whatever is born of God, who are those? Those who believe that Jesus, they're born of God. Whoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, we could could spend a whole bunch of time here and have a good shouting time on this. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this should be spoken more and more in our churches today because there's so many broken, beaten down, busted, and disgusted Christians who think they have to put up with what the world is offering. That when whatever comes their way, they just got to accept it. No, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, not puts up with the world overcomes it say i'm an overcomer overcomer. we could we could camp there for a long time but whatever is born of god overcomes the world so if you're born of god your natural state is to overcome the world that's what you were designed for in this world jesus said you will have trials and tribulation and he said be of good cheer i have overcome the world and because he has overcome it and you've been born of god when you placed your faith in him you get to overcome come on so i don't know what you're facing today i don't know what the obstacle may be ahead of you and i don't really care whatever it is you get to overcome when we place our faith in jesus and what he's done whatever it doesn't matter you know, as Christians, we often have uh, different levels of what we think is difficult. You know, when it, comes, when it comes to sickness and seeing someone healed, we're like, oh, yes, it's so nice that your headache went away, but oh, cancer. The way we think about it, we think one's little and one's big, and to Jesus, it was all the same, dealt with on the cross. It doesn't matter what it is. Just because the world shakes at the word cancer, This is what cancer means. Under. It all bows to the name of Jesus. Come on. I don't know who needs to hear that today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your neighbors are facing, your family. But don't value it higher than Jesus. He's bigger. Bigger than it all. And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Oh, we so wish it said Jesus' faith. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, believe for me. Oh, come and help me. No, he said it's finished, and he sat down. (laughs) It's done. And the victory that overcomes the world is your faith. When you place your faith in what he said is finished, and that it's gone, done, dealt with, that causes you to overcome. Verse number five, just for the sake, John decided to reiterate what he said. Who is he who overcomes the world? He's basically saying, did you guys get it? Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Say, that's me. That's me. me. 
So let's get back to Romans chapter 3, and that's where Paul, talking to the Romans, talking about how we're, we are, there's this grace that has appeared to us, and we've accessed it by faith, and everything in this world is by grace and faith. God has made a provision, and by faith you grab hold of it. And he said that you can't work your way to Jesus. You can't make, him, make yourself approved before him. You just have to believe that what he said is true. And it says, where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so I want to reestablish this today that we're not talking about you working your way to God and saying, God, I've done it perfect. I've done it right. Oh, please be happy with me, God. That's not the works we're going to be talking about today. You cannot make yourself approved to God. You've been approved because of what Jesus did, because of the provision that he did. And your job is to stand in it and say, well, God, if you told me it's this way, I'm going to go ahead and walk in it. I'm going to go ahead and do it because you said I can do it. It's not by your actions to make yourself approved. It's by the law of faith. You believe. And because of what you believe, you step out and you do something. If you want to boast in something, here's what Paul told the Corinthians. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. God, I'm so thankful for what you did for me. Oh, I'm so thankful for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you bore all sickness, sin, and shame on your back. I thank you, Lord, that you rose up victorious with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. If you want to boast about something, boast about the Lord. Make what he did the center of your life and the, the, all of your hope. Let it be placed in him. There's no boasting in you. Man, I, there's been times where I screwed everything up and I did it all wrong and Jesus still came through for me because he's good. I'm so glad he didn't say, Jordan, you screwed up again, all on your own. That's not how he is. And that's why we need to understand how much he loves you because his grace will go farther than you could ever imagine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so where we left off two weeks ago, Pastor Wendy did a great message last week on light a fire in your heart. And if you weren't here and you didn't see it, you better get, get it online, wordchurch.ca. There should be a hunger and a drive within you to see the goodness of God. God, light a fire in my heart. Stir me up. But two weeks ago, we ended on this, and this is where I want to camp today. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Faith, then, is birthed in a heart that responds. It is birthed in a heart that responds to what? To God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Faith explodes in a heart that responds to what God said. Come on, yesterday in the, in the men's breakfast with uh, Jim Hockaday, we were talking about how, what do you value what when someone says and he was talking about an example of where he needed to be a little more pointed with a person where they were they were dying of cancer and the doctor had no more help for them and they came to him and he started talking and said yeah but the doctor said and he said whoa 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 but i just told you what god said and your focus went to but the doctor said he said, if the doctors could help you, you wouldn't be standing here with me right now. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to let go of what they said and start holding higher what God said. Yeah. 
And so faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance. When you read what he said about you in the word, what does your heart do? Does it say, yes, that's how it is. God, let's go. Or does it say, oh, that sounds nice. Come on. I've done it. You've done it. We've all come to church, heard good anointed words, and then went, oh, that was nice. And by Monday, we can't even remember what Pastor Wendy said. Right? I know you wouldn't do that with Pastor Jordan. That's why, that's why I had to use her. No, faith is birthed in a heart that responds. There's a response to the word. There's something that rises up on the inside of you and says, why would I sit here if he told me to run? Come on. Why would I lay sick in bed if he told me I was healed? Why would I say, what am I going to do, God, if he said he's supplied all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? There's a response, a response of faith, and it needs to get back on the church's mouth. It needs to get back in their actions, in their step. There's no more coming to church for the sake of coming to church. There's a world to win. There's a, there's a, 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 a heaven that's going to be gained. And there's a hell to shun. And we need to take as many people as possible. And it's not going to do it by you going, oh, that was good, Pastor Jordan. No, there's a response of faith. We get out and we go do. And so today I want to talk and I want to spend the rest of the time, however long that takes us, how do we respond? How do we respond to the word? Well, uh, when we were down at, uh, in Oklahoma a few weeks ago, one of my good friends, Gary Hennenfent, preached a great message that was going right along with what I already had planned, and he m- talked about this, about the response of faith, how Brother Hagin said that faith is only ever released by what we say or what we do. Every story in the Bible, faith is ev- uh, released by what we say or what we do. And so if your faith is going... It's not being released. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. And faith is only ever released by what you say or what you do. So I want to go and look at the book of James this morning. And I want to remind you of what we said earlier in this series when we were in James 1 and 2. Is that James, he's a little bit different than the other writers. And why is that? He's been through the ringer. It has been hell in Jerusalem. And he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And what had happened is that just as Jesus said, the Romans were going to come in and they were going to destroy everything. And they did. They tore down the temple. They murdered a whole bunch of people because they were done with the Jews. We're like, you people, you can't help but just revolt. Why can't you just be good subjugated people? Why can't you just pay your taxes like you're supposed to and shut up and do what we tell you to? And the Jews kept saying, no, no, no. Come on, that was, that's the environment that Jesus lived in, right? One of his disciples was a zealot. That means he was a terrorist. One of Jesus' disciples was a Jewish terrorist. Thankfully, he turned his life around and came to Jesus, but that was the environment Jesus was in. And the Romans were so done, they're like, just send all the legion in and wipe the city out. I'm done. Let's make an example. And so that's the church that James was leading. A bunch of people who were starving. A bunch of people who had to believe every day. And so James understands what works and what doesn't. And he emphasizes what is important and what is not important. That's the environment we're about to read this in. And so James says this in chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, 
If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? So he's asking a question. He's provoking the thought of the reader in what he's writing. If you say you have faith, but you don't have works, can your faith, is it, any, is it beneficial to you? Can it save you? Can it cause you to overcome? If it doesn't have works, so what works is he talking about here? Because we already, we've talked about we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, right? Yeah. So what works is he talking about here? Well, the works that he, word that he uses here is the Greek word ergon, which means to act, to do a deed or a thing done. And the idea of working or acting is emphasized in opposition to that which is less than work. The idea of action is emphasized versus that which is less than work. What is less than work? Sitting on your butt. If mama said, get out and clean up the sticks off the yard and you're on the couch, which one is in action? Come on. If the Bible said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and you're on your couch, which one's action and which one's not? Okay, I'll stop stepping on toes. An evangelist friend of mine, I, I saw a post recently, he was talking about the three positions when it regards to missions. You can go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. <laughs> I digress. So let's change how James said this here. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not act on it? Can that faith save him? And... Uh, he goes on and he gives an example like a good minister. He gives a story. He gives an example and says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you, he's not pointing out which one it was, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? Basically he said, your words are worthless because you didn't meet it with action. They needed food, and you said, oh, be filled. Well, your filled didn't fill their belly. He needed an action. You found someone hungry, you fed them. That would be an action to the story. And so he says, thus, also, faith, if it does not have action, is dead. If it didn't move you to speak or to act, it was worthless. Not alive. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples after they, he had to calm the storm? He said, Oh, ye of little faith. And the little translation is, How can you, having faith, use none? What would have been the action for them? Well, instead of saying, We're going to die, Jesus, help us. Don't you care? We're perishing. The, the response would have been, Storm, be done. Jesus expected that the same thing he was doing was the same thing they could be doing. And so they didn't respond accordingly. Just like the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Jesus showed them one time and the second time expected them to do it. And they failed the test. And that's okay. He'll just keep re-giving you the test. It's not like our education system today where they just keep pushing you through. You take the test until you pass the test. Because the world will have a lot of tests for you. But you overcome. 
by your faith. So faith by itself, if it does not have action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works, or I have action. Show me your faith without your works or action, and I will show you my faith by my actions. James is saying, you'll know exactly what I believe because what he told me to do, I'm going to be found doing. Come on. And he goes on and he gets a little even more pointed with them. And he says, you believe that there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. And so basically saying they have a response to God. They are afraid. Come on, if their response is to go, uh, our response would be go, yes, God, let's do it. Come on, I believe you said it, and I'm going to walk right through it. Come on, they have a response. They heard something, they know something, and they do something because of it. They tremble. And if they're afraid, whoo, that should just bolster your faith. Come on. You know, we, I don't make much of the devil or much of demons. Why? Because when they get in your presence, they should tremble. Because the same God that's already defeated them lives in you. Come on. And he says, but do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without actions is dead? So, back to Romans 10. It says, faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. And he goes back in James 2, 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Was he not? Well, I thought he was justified by faith. Well, there's, there's two different things that James is talking about here, and we're going to explore that a little bit more in Hebrews 11 in just a second. He says, Do you see that faith was working together with his action? And by works or actions, faith was made perfect. Now, that word perfect means the job was completed. Faith and actions got the job done. Faith and responding to what the Word had said got the job done. And I want you to know that today, faith in what God has said and your response to it will still get the job done today. Come on. Doesn't matter what it is. Faith and your response to His Word will get the job done. And faith is only ever released by what we say or what we do. So what are you saying and what are you doing today in light of the obstacle in front of you and in light of what the Word of God has said? So I want to spend the rest of the time that we've got in Hebrews chapter 11, which we call the, hall of, the, the faith hall of fame. It's stories about people who acted in faith. But before we get to chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, doesn't matter if it is or not. I just think, think the tones fit up with what he said in other places. And he said in Romans chapter, uh, book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, he said the same thing here that the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 38. The just live by faith. The just live by faith. I don't visit faith. I don't use it occasionally. I live by it every moment, every day. And he says this. But if anyone draws back, this is the opposite of what James is saying. He's saying respond and move forward. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying, but some draw back. And it says, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
but we are not like those who draw back come on I don't go backwards. Pastor Wendy said it last week. We are either going backwards or forwards. There is no standing still. So you might as well determine, I'm going forward. I'm going through. I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm going all the way through until we get to completion, right? We're not like those who draw back unto perdition or destruction, but we're those who believe unto the saving of the soul. I'm going all the way through. And so if we drop into verse chapter 11 and verse 4, it says here, starting right off of the stories and the examples, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being de- through, though, though, though it he being dead still speaks. It says that Abel offered, by faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What's the story he's talking about? We go back all the way to Genesis, and it says that Abel, he was a cattleman or a rancher. He brought sheep or goats or whatever it might have been at that time, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. He grew fruits and vegetables or wheat or whatever it is that he was doing. They had two different occupations, and it what happened is Abel, he brought a sacrifice to God. He brought his firstborn lamb, goat, cow, we don't know what it was. He brought the first that came out. And he said, God, here, it's my first, and I give it to you. As, as, a, as a cattle person, that's probably a scary position to be in. Well, I had one, but is there going to be a second? He didn't know. Is there going to be a third or fourth? But he didn't care. He said, God, I place it all in your hands. I give you my best. I give you my first. We're talking about Cain. Abel did this by faith. He believed something about God. And he said, God, you're worthy of my best, and you're worthy of my first. Abel did cattle, Cain did things that came from the ground or the trees. We've often seen in this story people say, well, God didn't like Cain's sacrifice because it wasn't blood. It wasn't, it wasn't the uh, blood sacrifice. That had nothing to do with it. Abel brought his first, but what does it say about Cain? In the process of time, Cain brought a sacrifice. Abel brought his first and his best. What happens with fruits and vegetables in the process of time? They spoil. Cain brought his first and his best, or Abel brought his first and his best. Cain brought his leftovers and his worthless. That's why God said, I don't want your your sacrifice. Nobody eats the rotten banana. It's only good for banana bread. Come on. By faith, Abel offered. He stepped out and said, God, I don't know if there'll be a second, but you get my first. Come on, think about that in how you how you in your giving, think about that in your time. What does God get? Does he get your leftovers? By faith, Abel offered. Next verse says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death 
And it was not, he was not found because God had taken him. And before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. And verse 6 is often taken out of context. It's part of the Enoch story. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek them. So Enoch pleased God by faith. And so how did he do it? By being a seeker of God. Being a believer of God. It said that Enoch walked with God and he was and then he wasn't. One day... He was out having a stroll with God, giving God his time and seeking God. And God was just like, you know what, Enoch? Why don't you just come to heaven with me and let's just stay together? Whoo, that's a relationship. God's like, I I know eventually you're going to get here, but I don't want to wait. I want you to be with me now. And he did it by faith as a seeker of God. He gave God his time. He gave God his attention. And I think we put too much focus that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The rewards are just secondary to the relationship that is fostered when we spend time with him. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he was moved, that's action, with godly fear, and he prepared, he did something. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Here it says, Noah did something even though what was being told to him had never happened. God said it's going to rain, and Noah's like, what's rain? Hadn't rained on the earth yet. And even in spite of his lack of understanding of what was about to happen, he still put action to his faith and did what God asked. He built the boat. And that's important for us. You don't need to know all the details, but if God said go, you go. If God said stay, you stay. If God said do it, you do it. He didn't say he was going to tell you all the parts. And we see that in the next verse. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God said, I'm calling you out of there, Abraham. I'm going to take you to a land that you don't know. And Abraham was kind of like, okay, I guess We'll just go this direction. You know, the important thing here, too, is that Abraham wasn't fully obedient at the beginning. God said, get out from among your family and come to the place I'm calling you to. And what did he do? He took his father and his nephew. But you notice the hall of faith doesn't tell you that? Why? Why? Because it's unimportant. He doesn't care how you started. He cares about how you finished. And you may have got it half right the first time. Get it a little more right the next time. And work it through. The important part is Abraham got moving. And then his father died. And then he got to a point where him and his nephew couldn't exist in the same land because they had too much stuff. God was still blessing them in spite of partial obedience. 
Come on, I fully advocate full obedience. I really, I think it's better. It would have been better for Abraham. He would have avoided some things, some wars that he had to fight because of his nephew. But eventually they separated. And at that moment where he stepped into that full obedience, God said, look up, Abraham. Look left, look right, look all around. It's all yours. But it wasn't just that he went to the land. There came a time where the next verse says, by faith he dwelt in the land. Meaning he had to stay when he didn't own it. Oh, come on. And maybe God leads you to a place and you're like, God, I thought I was supposed to be the boss here. And he's just saying, shut up and stay where I planted you to be. Let me work out the details. Let me work out the timing. By faith he dwelt in the land, in the promise, as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And sometimes there's going to be pressure from those around you saying, you need to go do this, and you know what to do that, and come on, you need to get moving. But if God said stay, your action is staying, planting yourself where he called you to be. Come on, I remember Keith Moore talking about how for 20 years he served Brother Hagen because that's what God told him to do. Go and do whatever he needs you to do. And people kept saying, Keith, your, your talents are wasted here. Go start a church. Go do that. And he said, no, this is where I've been called to be. And he stayed there until the time was over. It says even of Abraham's wife, it says, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And this is where, again, I like that God sees the outcome and not the beginning because Sarah started with, (laughs) I'm old, that's not going to happen. She laughed. And so God told him to name your kid, laughter. Who's laughing now, Sarah? She judged him faithful. How many of you know there was a little action still required on Sarah's part to see that come to pass? There was an action to the faith. She judged him faithful. God, you said it would happen. We believe that it's going to happen. And it says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. And these all died in faith. They all died in faith. They all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but seeing them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This is not my home. I may be living here, but I'm passing through. I'm from the kingdom of heaven. And it says, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a a homeland, the kingdom of God. That's what they were seeking. But it said they looked for the promise, but they died waiting for it. That's not you. 
You live in the promises now. Jesus came. He did a work that no man could do so that you could stand fully in what he wanted for humanity again. He came and he did the work, and you don't have to wait for the promise. You live in the promise. As the Bible said, all the promises of him are yes and amen. Yes, and so be it. Yes, they're done. Is it for me, God? He's saying, yes, go. Yes, say. Yes, act. And he said, if truly they had called to mind the country from which they'd come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. Where are your thoughts? Where are your actions? Where are your words leading you to? He said, they could have kept saying, oh, it'd be better if we would have stayed in Egypt. That's what Israel did, right? But why have you brought us out, Moses, to die in this wilderness? What? They kept thinking about where they came from rather than where they're going. Where is your focus? You going backwards? Is your focus on what the world has to offer you? No. Focus on the promise that he's given to you. Hallelujah. It says, by faith, Abraham... When he was tested, come on, there we turn, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. What do we know about this story? God, he finally gets the children of, child of promise. He's about 12, 13 years old, and God says to Abraham one day, Abraham, take Isaac up to the mountain, kill him. Got to think, Abraham's all of a sudden saying, come again, God? I waited 25 years for this kid. <laughs> I screwed it up along the way, and I got an Ishmael, and I got all these things, and now you want me to take the very thing you promised me? You got to think there was probably some conversations going on in Abraham's head. <sighs> but it says, by faith, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And why did he do it? Well, verse 19 says, he concluded... That God was able to raise him up even from the dead. He said, yeah, that's right. Why am I thinking about the natural limitations of this? Do I not serve the God who calls those things which be not as though they were? The God that gives life to the dead? And he was obedient. God said, you're good, Abraham. You don't need to do that. I've got my own sacrifice for you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being obedient. Goes in verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And you say, Well, that seems like where was the action in that? Do you understand the faith that Isaac would have had to have to bless Jacob and Esau? What was he doing? He was saying, God, you promised that this family would be so numerous as the sand of the seashore and of the stars of the sky, but yet here my two sons want to kill each other. I don't know if this line's going any longer. Jacob screwed Esau out of his birthright. Now Esau's not happy. I don't know if anybody's going to survive. Boys, come here. I'm going to bless you anyways. The line will go on. He did it by faith because in the natural, it did not look good. Come on, you know family dynamics. I'm sure, I'm sure you've got issues in your family too. But by faith, Isaac went ahead and blessed. And it went to the next generation. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. He didn't think he would ever see Joseph again. And now instead of having one descendant out of Joseph, he was going to get two. 
And it says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. He looked ahead to what God said, you're going home, you're going to live in the land of promise. And he said, guys, you're not going to be here forever. You're leaving. You're going back home. And when you go, take my bones with you and plant them in the ground in the land of promise. Why? Because he believed it was coming to pass, and so he acted accordingly to it. It says, by faith Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Come on, you got to think of the faith that mother had when she said, oh, they're killing all the kids. What am I going to do? I'm going to put them in a basket and I'm going to float them down the river. (laughs) I'm pretty sure if I suggested that to my wife, we don't have to worry about the kid dying. I'm dying. Come on. But they knew God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for this child. We've got to protect them, and sometimes that means us letting go. It says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His actions said, no, 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 no. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite, and I will do what I've been called to do. It said, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, we could spend a bunch of time there just talking about how just because you're standing in faith doesn't mean you won't face some persecution. And Moses chose rather to suffer that affliction and go with God. That's just a side note. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, and he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You can say, well, it's not that hard to walk across dry land. You have to understand that first step was not into dry land. That first step was into the waters. Moses said, go forward. Go forward. And there's going to be times when you're saying, God, what am I stepping into? You're stepping into his grace that you're latching hold of by faith. If he said step, you don't have to worry about whether there's land there to hold you. Just like Jesus, he walked right across the waters. Land is insignificant. Obedience is. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. What a way to fight a battle. Come on, Joshua, let's seize the city. Siege the city. Let's starve them out. Let's break down these walls. Uh, Joshua, yes, God? Walk. Okay. Seven days. Okay. On the seventh day, do it seven times. But I don't want to walk that far, God. That's a lot. This is a big city. Come on, these sandals, they're not there. You know, it's not like I've got those Dr. Scholl's inserts in there, you know, protecting my feet. I don't want to walk, God. Walk. And when the time comes, you shout like you got the victory. Whoo. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, for she received the spies with peace. She said to them, 
I've heard what happens to those who oppose you. I'm not going to be on that side. And she betrayed her entire city so that she could stand on God's side. And she's the only one that walked away from Jericho. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, also of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violent fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, they turned the fight of the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Why? Because the just live by faith. And your faith is only ever released by what you say and what you do. So I want you to give you some homework today. Examine, what are my words leading me to? Where are my actions lining up? Is it what God has said about me? Am I petting my sickness? Oh, I so love you. No, cast it off. Don't make provision for the flesh. Make provision for the spirit. And let your words and your actions line up. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace. And just as your word said that by faith we have access into the grace in which we stand. And so, Father, I thank you that the grace is much more abundant than the problem. The grace is much more bounding than the sin. I thank you, Father, that your grace is more than enough for me. And so I grab hold by faith and I choose to respond to what you have for me. And I give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said with me, amen. In just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to pray with you, whatever it is. You might as well agree with someone and celebrate with someone and get your words lined up together and go forth in action. Amen? So take advantage of them and do whatever you need to do. Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Okay, so we know that without faith it's impossible to please Him. Amen? And uh, so we do this pretty well every Sunday when we take up the offering. We have a confession because faith is only released by what we say or what we do. Amen? Amen. So let's say this uh, confession together. As I tithe and give offerings, I believe in the Lord for souls and more souls, jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, states and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decrease, bills paid off, blessings and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have just released your faith. If you're a tither and a, and a giving offerings, you will fall under this category of blessings because God is faithful. Amen? He is faithful because... You spoke it, you released your faith in it, and God is always faithful to come through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Be blessed.